Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Wayne Mullins about the role that systems and processes play in creating and sustaining company culture. Wayne Mullins, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Hey, Jonathan. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, I'm super excited to chat with you. You're joining us uh, from Louisiana, and I'm south of Salt Lake City here in Utah. Today, we're going to be focusing on the role that systems and processes play in creating and then sustaining company culture. The reality is that whether we're intentional or not, organizations will have cultures emerge um, but when we're not intentional and we're not strategic about it, usually it's not a culture we particularly want, and usually it's not a particularly healthy or engaging culture. Uh, so we're going to talk about how we can um, how we can support and sustain and create the kind of culture that we actually want through the systems and processes at play within our organizations. As we get started, I wanted to share Wayne's bio with everybody. Wayne Mullins is a passionate entrepreneur committed to creating remarkable experiences and building a team at Ugly Mug Marketing that produces extraordinary results for their clients. He has been called the guru's guru as he's regularly called upon for advice from industry leading CEOs, New York Times bestselling authors, and Silicon Valley startups. He loves helping entrepreneurs challenge their assumptions, create value from places they've never looked, and reach goals they've never believed possible. He has personally worked with clients in 91 different industries from 34 states and 11 different countries. What a pleasure to have you, Wayne. Thank you for joining me. Anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in? No, what I would say just to begin with, uh, you know, as you were doing the intro there, Jonathan, you talked about um, how if we aren't intentional about building our culture, then we will unintentionally end up with a culture that we don't want. And I can tell you that my story is a testament to that on both sides. Um, so for the initial probably six to eight years in business, um, I did not give credence. I did not give any value to the importance of building a culture, you know, dedicating time, energy, and effort to building the culture that we wanted. Um, and as a result of that, not that we had a bad culture, but we had what I would say just a lackluster culture. And it wasn't until I became intentional in my efforts, um, intentional in my, my self-development, that our culture began to shift, our culture began to change. And now we have a culture that is talked about, a culture where um, people regularly come to us, they attempt to steal our workers away from us. Um, they often ask, how do you get such amazing people to come work for you? So what you said is so spot on and I'm living proof on both sides of that equation. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for that context. And the reason I mentioned that is, and maybe it sounds self-evident, maybe it's obvious, 
Um, but every now and then I, you know, I hear executives talking about uh, culture as though in theory, it's nice, but in reality, you know, you're just going to chase your tail and you're just going to end up wasting lots of time and energy and money on something that's elusive that you're never going to get to. And I've actually heard uh, and I've read um, articles by certain thought leaders and executives saying essentially that culture, organizational culture is a myth. And that that really boggles my mind, um, both on both um, in both cases, because I mean, certainly for one, it, it's it's like a social fact that we have organizational cultures anytime you get two or more people together, a culture starts to emerge, whether you like it or not. So the argument that culture is a myth just seems bizarre to me because that's, I, I don't even know how that's even possible. Um, but then the other side of it saying, well, it's, you know, culture is real, but it's just this, this aspirational goal that we're never going to get to. And we're just going to end up chasing our tails. Um, when I hear that argument, I think, wow, that leader's probably never been in an organization where they've had a strategic approach to developing and then sustaining a, a positive culture. They, they've probably <laughs> uh, really just, uh, you know, taken shotgun approach to trying to, to do culture and that never works. So you have to be very purposeful. You have to be very consistent. You have to have sustained effort over time in order to create the culture that you want. It's not a shot in the pan and you can't just you know, hold a meeting and say, hey, here are our values. This is our culture. And then magically have it happen. Uh, it's, it's much more difficult than that. And that's why it comes back to the systems and processes at play. Um, so I thought we could start there. Uh, and then we can, you know, I think there are some tangential principles and elements that will also emerge as we're having this conversation. Um, but what do you mean by that? Like, why, what is the role of systems and processes? Why are they so important in creating and then sustaining the kind of culture that you want? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, we are in, you know, our industry is a very creative industry. So we do everything from, you know, custom marketing campaigns to custom built websites. So it's no one, two, you know, there's never two things that look the same, right? Every campaign is different, even if it's for the same client, there's always different variables involved. And so in terms of creating systems and processes, if there's any organization, any type of business where it's difficult to create those, it's in the organizations where everything is unique, everything is custom built, if you will. And so for me, for a long time, you know, I didn't believe we could systematize. I didn't believe we could have processes in place. Um, so number one is you have to overcome and dispel that belief, that limiting belief that some listeners may have. Um, so systems and processes can apply within the organization. In other words, how we actually build out the functions of, you know, the tasks that we do, we build the products, whatever it may be. And we're all familiar with those. But when we begin stepping back, going up a level higher, if you will, um, the same is often true. And what I mean by that is we often have the same limiting beliefs around can systems and processes actually be effective when it comes to building culture. And so the first place that, that I believe you have to start when it comes to thinking systematically or, or thinking through processes around your culture is getting clear about the definition of culture. What does culture actually mean? And there's two different ways I like to explain culture. Um, number one is your culture is revealed when the boss is away. That is the true 
revelation, if you will, of what the culture is. So the culture. So when when no one, when no one's looking over your shoulder and monitoring you, what do you do? (laughs) Exactly. But it's, it's more systematic. It's more uh, systemic, if you will, than that. So in other words, it's the way the behaviors emerge as a collective, kind of like you were talking about earlier, when there's a group of people, how does that culturally merge when the quote unquote boss is away? So that's one way I like to think about culture is how do, how do people behave? For example, when I'm not present, what, what takes place? What do we stand for? What decisions get made? You know, do we take the, the path of least resistance when I'm not here or do we live up to the core values? The other side or the other definition of culture um, culture actually comes from the same Latin word as cultivate. So when we think about cultivating, we think about cultivating the soul. So when we're going to plant a garden, um, you have to cultivate the soul. You have to break up the hard ground. You have to make it pliable. You have to make, you know, you aerate it, you get the weeds out, you, you work the soil. And then for anyone who's ever had a garden, you, you know, this, you, you plant the plants in the ground and your work of cultivating is not done. It's an ongoing effort. It's a continual effort. You have to constantly pull the weeds. You have to constantly make sure the soil doesn't get too compacted. You have to ensure that you're adding the right nutrients into the soil, removing anything that could be detrimental to the plant. And so it's with those two definitions, if you will, in mind that we can then begin working backwards and saying, okay, based on those two things, if I believe those two things to be true, what systems and processes need to be in place to number one, ensure that we're constantly cultivating the soul. In other words, we're constantly working on building out our culture. And number two, what behaviors do I want demonstrated when I'm not present? What do I want the company to actually stand for with me removed? Like, what what do those things look like? And so that becomes the foundation of building out the systems and processes that we have in place around culture. Yeah, I, I think those are, are great thoughts. And I'm wondering, so for example, at your company, what are some ex- specific examples of the types of systems or processes, the policies, the practices, the procedures that you've put in place to help reinforce the type of desired aspirational culture uh, that you've wanted for your organization? So the, the first step in that for us is the vision. What is the actual vision for the company? Where are we going in the future. And when I say, you know, I know the question specifically about system and processes, but we have systems and processes around the company vision. So if you don't have the vision, if you can't paint the picture of where you're trying to get to, it would be like sending players out onto a football field and saying, good luck, figure it out. And not telling, telling them the goal is to get the ball across the goal line, right? So if we don't have a clear vision for where we're trying to get to, we can't expect our team to implement, to execute, to run that direction. So specifically for us, when it comes to our vision, um, we have the company vision. It gets shared. It gets pushed down into the organization. It's implemented into our hiring process. So when you make it to a certain stage in our hiring process, you receive a copy of the company vision. You are then asked to send a one to two minute video explaining how you could help bring that vision to life. And so that's a small little system or small little process that we have that takes place before someone is actually hired on to begin teaching, to begin ingraining 
the culture and the future that we're trying to create. The other thing as it relates to vision and how we trickle that down into culture is each department leader creates a vision for their department. That then gets shared publicly. It gets shared with their group, you know, the people on their team. And then within those teams, they each write vision statements about their role within that team. So again, what we're doing is we're taking the overarching company vision, where we're going, it then gets shared. And then the department leads say, okay, I understand where we're trying to get to as a company. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for my department? How do I envision us living within this bigger picture, this bigger umbrella? And then we take a step further and the individual. So again, you can see we, we took what some people would create as a vision and they stick it in a drawer, they stick it in a filing cabinet somewhere, and they've done the visioning thing. And then they complain because the vision thing was a waste of time. And so what we've done is we built some processes, some systems around that, that push that vision down into the organization. And it pushes it down into the organization from potential new hires all the way through the team leaders. They're, they're buying into the visions that are being created. So that's one small example. Yeah, I really love that example uh, because you're absolutely right. What tends to happen more often than not in a lot of organizations is that they have a mission statement, they have a value statement, you know, they have these core values that they say are really important. And of course, those should help shape the type of culture that you want. Um, they go on the website, there might be a banner on the wall. Um, maybe there's lip service given to it occasionally in a speech from an executive. And that's kind of about it, right? Um, that, that's not really going to do anything. Um, I, I suppose going through the exercise of developing your mission statement, your value statement, and having those conversations, that's a good exercise to, to have. But in and of itself, it's not going to get you to where you want to be. And so, like you said, pushing it down into the different levels of the organization uh, is, is super important, whether you're talking about systematizing a value statement and how it's integrated into the organization. Um, or whatever, right? And so you talk about even during the hiring process, it's part of it. I'm sure it's part of the onboarding process, part of the performance management and feedback process. Like it, it, it's, it's a core element of every aspect of the organization. And when it's reinforced repeatedly that way and it's integrated that way, uh, then you know people start to pay attention to it. Uh, I also love with the values in particular, uh, how you're asking your people to, you know, kind of at each level, create their own value statement. Um, you know, so you have this big overarching organizational one, and then you have a division, you know, down to units and teams and whatever, uh, whatever the structures of the organization. Uh, and that helps people to have ownership. Now, of course, you need alignment. So you need, you need missions and visions that aren't at odds with the overarching ones. But as long as there's some alignment, people have the opportunity to, to uh, adjust and, and, and make their their value statement and vision statement specific to them, uh, then they're going to have ownership over it. They're going to be more bought into it and it's going to have a better chance of driving their behaviors uh, and in the way they interact with each other, which is going to create the culture that they want, right? I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb 
that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Yeah, absolutely. You're spot on with that. And again, what I'd like to point out is that you know, everyone listening's probably heard of the importance of the mission, the vision, you know, the, the core values, those things. Um, but all too often, you know, as I said earlier, they get stuck in a filing cabinet somewhere, they get stuck in a stack of papers and books, and they're not pushed into, they're not ingrained into the organization. And if we go back to the very first thing I said about culture, it means to cultivate. We have to push those elements that are important down into the soil, down into what it is that that we're trying to build, you know, the culture that we actually want. And so the same is absolutely true for our core values. You know, first of all, we believe that a core value isn't truly a value unless it has cost you something. For example, we one of our core values says results, not reasons. In other words, we're after results. We don't need all the reasons why it didn't work. We're after the results. Now, it's easy to say, and that's a very, you know, nice, piffy core value statement. But if that core value hasn't actually cost us something, in other words, if we aren't sacrificing, is it, if it hasn't cost us time, if it hasn't cost us money, if it hasn't cost us um, making a sacrifice in, you know, whether that's choosing one type of project over another, if your core values haven't actually cost you something, you're merely paying lip service to those things. And the example I love to use is Enron. So one of Enron's core values was integrity, right? They were paying lip service to this word, but what did that word actually cost them? What did integrity actually cost them? And the answer is they didn't pay anything for it, which in the end, they ended up paying a lot for it. Yeah, it costs them everything. <laughs> um, yeah. And and Enron's an interesting example. You know, we talk about the cooking the books and the accounting side of the scandal and everything that happened at Enron, but it was much deeper than just that. That was one of the manifestations of the sickness at Enron. And they had very unhealthy, sick organizational culture, generally speaking, um, hyper competition um, and competitiveness uh, where anything goes, you can undermine anyone else. They had blatant sexism happening throughout the organization. Like there were just all these different levels of completely unhealthy behaviors and actions. And, and the cooking the books is just kind of one of the, the really uh, obvious things that, you know, people always talk about. Uh, but absolutely integrity clearly wasn't anywhere on the radar of those, those leaders. Uh, and I think of other examples like the recent Wells Fargo scandal, um, again, 
you know, they, they have value statements. Uh, they have a vision of what they want to accomplish. But when the actions of leaders and executives um, go contrary to whatever the stated rhetoric is about your vision, your vision, your values, what are people going to do? What are people going to actually, um, what, what are their behaviors going to follow? And it's going to follow the actions and, and what they see their leaders doing. And ultimately it's going to come back to how they're evaluated. And if I, you know, in the, in the, uh, in the Wells Fargo example, if I'm being evaluated based off of certain metrics and, and the screws are being put to me, all this pressure to have, to open more and more accounts, um, then what's, of course, what's going to happen is you're going to have people finding ways to work the system and to, to meet the demands of the people higher up in the hierarchy above them that are, are completely uh, continually putting the pressure on them, um, looking the other way when they know that there's falsified accounts and, and all those sorts of things. So, you know, I, I think you really uh, share a great example there about, you know, really a cautionary tale um, in the Enron example uh, about what it really means to live the values, live the vision of what we have uh, versus to just give lip service to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going I'm to shift back to your original question because I've only at this point shared really one kind of system or process around visioning. So if you don't mind, I'll, I'll jump into another. Um, so another way that, that we take, you know, these elements, um, the vision, the mission, the core values, and we really push those down into the organization um, because those things represent the culture that we're aiming to build, right? Those things, our core values, our vision, our mission, those are representative of the culture we're trying to build. So another way that we really systematize or, or we push those things down into the organization is we have this document called the field of play. So if you think about a football field in your head, so if you're on one end of the field, your, your goal, if you're on offense, is to make it to the goal line on the far end of the field. And so what we have in place, again, our vision is down there at the end of that. Our vision says, this is the direction we're heading. This is the direction of the goal line. Now, the goal line itself is going to be individual. So in other words, based on the role, your goal line is going to be different. Over on the right-hand side of the field, we have what we would call uh, expectations. So what are the actual expectations that we are trying to live up to? So these would be things that are representative of the way we should act day in and day out. That's what's on that side of the field. And so when we have someone who steps out of bounds operationally, in other words, they're, they're operating in a way that's kind of out of our expectations, it makes it easy to have a conversation around those things. We can say, you know, the culture that we're trying to build the vision that we're aiming towards or the core values that we live for say, here's the way we should behave, or here's the way we should operate. You stepped out of bounds here. Do you understand why this is out of alignment with where we're trying to go, where we're trying to get to? And so on that side of the field, um, there's a lot of operational out of bounds because we hold ourselves. Our culture says that we don't want to be average. We don't want to be mediocre. We want to be great. Therefore, we must have high expectations of ourselves and of those around us. Because if we don't, we all know, like everyone listening knows, 
our default tendency is to drift down the path of least resistance, right? We never intentionally work hard and go uphill unless we have some expectations for ourselves and for those around us. So if you think back to the football field, over on the opposite side of the field, the left-hand side of the field, that is what we would have uh, terminal out of bounds. So these are super obvious things. These are things that if you do, you're more than likely going to get fired. If you steal from the company, if you steal from a client, if you blatantly lie and try to cover things up, you know, all these things, you know, we intuitively know we're going to get fired for. But again, we have those clearly defined because again, they represent who we are, what we stand for, and what we're going to not tolerate in our organization. And so when we think of that football field, each person based on the vision, the mission, and our core values establishes their goal each quarter. What is my big goal that I'm aiming for this quarter? In light of all the other things, what's that big goal? And then underneath that, we have three core lead metrics. And they typically center around the quantity, so some quantity factor, quality factor, and then either experiential or learning. So there's three lead metrics. All of those lead metrics are driving or helping indicate if they're going to hit that big goal that they've set for themselves. So I share that to say this, you know, the way that most organizations work is, is, you know, the CEO or the manager or, you know, the department head comes in and says, okay, here's the goal for the quarter. I want you to hit, you know, X in revenue or X in sales, or I want you to fulfill X number of widgets or whatever it may be. And so it comes from the top down. And what we all know to be true is that we are not nearly as motivated when someone else tells us what to aim for as when we get to set that thing for ourselves and when we get to set the tone or the direction of what we believe we're capable of hitting for ourselves. And so that's the way that organizationally we operate. It's called the field of play. And for us, all of those elements tie together into building the culture that we want, which the way I would define it is this, we are a um, you know, high performance culture and we're self-accountable. So in other words, I don't have to constantly micromanage. I don't have to constantly say we should be pushing harder. It's a beautiful thing. Yesterday was our quarterly team meeting. It's a beautiful thing when you sit in a meeting and you hear team members challenge each other. They're challenging each other. Is that the right goal for you? Could you do more? Is that too high for you? Are those lead metrics going to lead you to the outcome that you're after? It's, it's an absolutely beautiful thing to see that take place. And what I would say to those listening is that happens not on accident. It happens, as Jonathan said originally, based on intention and intention of pushing culture and building culture into the organization throughout. Very, very well said, Wayne. I completely agree. Uh, great examples, great application. I think you've given all the listeners a lot to think about. I really appreciate all of your insights. And I'm just noticing the time. It's about time to let you get back to your busy day. But before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, your team, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Jonathan, for the invite. I've enjoyed our chat. Uh, the simplest place for people to find more about us and about me would just be on our website. That's just uglymugmarketing.com. Email addresses, social, all that, phone numbers, all that stuff's there in one spot. Um, you know, 
I think the final word that I would like to say is this, that some of the best advice I ever received around leadership specifically was spend less time worrying about how to lead others well and more time trying to figure out how to lead yourself well. And when you do that, the leading others well will magically take care of itself. And I can tell you from my personal experience, that has been true. And um, I think it's just some great advice to follow. Excellent. Thank you, Wayne. I, I think that is great advice. I appreciate, again, all of the insights you've shared. I encourage listeners to reach out, to get connected, find out more about what Wayne can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.